we're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Welcome everybody to Redemption Church in Plano, Texas. My name is Chris Fluitt, and I'm always glad to share the Word of God. So let's let's get into it. But first, hello to everyone in the room. I love you guys. I'm so glad that you're here to worship with us. Did you come to worship today? Did you come to talk to God today? Did you come to hear his word today? Excellent. You're in the right place. And hello to everybody watching, listening online. And a special shout out to my friend George in Germany. George recently made a decision to go public with his faith. Can we hear it for George? It's a big deal. George, we're so proud of you. We're believing God's best for you. God's going to use you. You just be, be full of faith. And uh, you're already walking in it. We're so proud of you. Today is Palm Sunday. Give somebody a high five. Palms. Palm Sunday, everybody. Palm Sunday is a day where the church remembers Jesus' triumphal entry into what city? Jerusalem. The story can be found in all four Gospels. We're going to read the story in Matthew 21. I want you to go ahead and get your Bibles open to Matthew 21. We're going to be looking together. Open up your phone. We're not going to be showing the words on the screen. I want you to get ready today. Matthew 21. As we read, I want you to consider the following questions. Number one, why is it called Palm Sunday? Number two, what up with the donkey? Number three, what's the purpose of this event? And fourth, when did this happen? We're going to be reading Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there. And with her colt by her. So it's a donkey with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them. And he will send them right away. Verse 4. This took place to fulfill what the prophet was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you. Gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, the crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. In 
Galilee. Thank you for paying close attention to the Word of God. Let me tell you, paying attention to the Word of God is so powerful. Yes. I'm going to do my best to bring you the Word of God today, but we've already looked at the Word of God, and if you paid attention, I believe God's going to bless you in that. Question one, why is it called Palm Sunday? Well, they cut branches from the trees, and those trees were palm trees. In fact, John, that gospel, and John 12, 13, actually calls them palm branches. So the visual of palm branches is why today is referred to as Palm Sunday. Now notice that they didn't just take down palm trees. They also took down what? Their own cloaks. What is cloak? It's your outer garment, their their coat, if you will. And what did they do with that? They laid it down before the Lord, the branches and their very clothes where Jesus would ride. He would actually ride on top of their offering to him. Now, what was going on? This was actually a sign of kingship. You wouldn't do this to just any person. You would do this was the kind of thing that was only done to a king. That's a big deal. This act would be performed for a king. You follow that. The very idea that they were doing this was actually insurrection against Caesar in Rome. They were proclaiming someone else to be king. Next question. What up with the donkey? Look at somebody say, what up with the donkey? A prophet named Zechariah tells us the purpose of the donkey. This is from the prophet hundreds of years earlier. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Matthew is quoting Zechariah 9 verse 9. It tells us that the king would come, that the king that would come would be gentle. I don't know if you know this, but not too many governments walk in peacefully. Right? You follow me on that? Not too many kings walk in peacefully. They usually walk in with the tank. They usually walk in with a drone strike. They usually walk in with SEAL Team 6. That's how. But this prophecy said that a gentle king would come And he would come in riding on a donkey. The donkey spoke to the gentleness of Jesus as a king. Now the ancient world understood this better than us. The ancient world had a symbolic understanding of the entry of a king. If a king entered on a horse, it meant he was set on conquest through war. In fact, you read in Revelation that same pattern Shows up the first rider of the the four horsemen of the apocalypse is a king set on conquest. He's on a horse. But in the ancient world, it was understood that if you came on a donkey, it meant that you came in humbleness, that you came to serve, that you came in peace. And that's how Jesus, he came in gentleness. 
He came in peace. And he came to serve. That's why he was in Jerusalem. He was going to serve Jerusalem. So what was the purpose of this event? What was the purpose? This story has everything to do with Jesus Christ being king. That's the purpose. The prophecy was about the coming of a gentle king. The act of throwing down clothes and palm branches was about receiving the entry of a king. The people crying Hosanna was a declaration that a savior had come to save them. They cried that he was a son of who? David. They cried that he was a son of David. See, I threw y'all a curveball. Usually when I ask you, it's, the answer is always God, right? The answer is always, no, the answer here was G, uh, David, right? He's the son of David. Who was David? Israel's greatest king. They were looking for another king like David. The very example of the king of Jerusalem was David. And they said that you are the rightful heir to David's throne when they said Hosanna to the son of David. On this day, Jesus was finally received as a king. Do you know that he was very rarely received as a king? He was born in a lowly manger. He was born into a poor home. And he grew up to have no home. He was a carpenter with a ragtag group of outcast followers. But on this day, Israel, Jerusalem, received Jesus as their king. After all the good Jesus had done in his ministry, he had fed the multitudes. Not once, but twice. 4,000 and 5,000, boom, with miracles. Healing the sick, raising the dead. And after his perfect obedience to God's commandments, which no one has ever done, Jesus was finally and rightly declared to be king. When did this happen? When did it happen? Well, this all took place the same week that Jesus would be crucified. The very same week that Jesus would be crucified, that is when this took place. On this day, the crowd cried, Hosanna, as they received their king. But later this week, the same crowd, people in the same crowd would gather again. And they would cry something very different. They would cry, crucify him. They would cry, away with him. They would mock him. And it was the same crowd. The same city. The same people. And they put above his head a sign that said, King of the Jews. And in mocking They put a crown, but it wasn't a glorious crown. It was a torturous crown of thorns that caused him pain and ridicule. I would like to entitle this message as a question. 
King for a day, question mark. King for a day as a question. How can this be possible? How can one moment they love him and so quickly hate him? And by the way, it's not like he did something to them personally bad. It's not like he came up to them and made fun of their mama or slapped them or stole something from them. He had not changed at all. They worshipped him. Yet later, they cursed his name. Later, they rejoiced in his pain and his agony and his death. I want to give you my entire message in the next few sentences. If you just do not have the attention span today, man, have I got you. Here it is. It is possible to crown Jesus king for only a day. It is possible to praise him one day and revile him the next. It is possible to receive Jesus and also possible to reject him. But we know this, right? You kind of knew this, right? It should be painfully obvious that we can worship Jesus on a Sunday and curse his name on a Monday. We can sing, what a wonderful name it is. What a one, and then insert that very same name in a curse word on Monday. We can declare his word on Sunday and on Tuesday. Can't even find your Bible. You can love Jesus on Sunday, but hate your neighbor on Wednesday. You can confess him Lord and shortly after pull a Peter. You know what I mean by pull? The apostle Peter, he he said, after declaring Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, he looks at Jesus and says, I never knew that man and begins to curse. It is powerful when someone becomes a believer. You listen to me. I believe that with all my heart. It is powerful to publicly declare and confess that Jesus is the Lord of your life. That's powerful. It's a big deal. It is a God moment when someone says uh, to the Lord, a prayer of repentance. That's a God moment. It is worth celebrating when someone is born again. When someone is baptized in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are great days. The angels in heaven rejoice over these days. And it ought to make you absolutely ecstatic and excited. And we should be praying for more and more of these conversion days around us. Your home, your family, your friends, your co-workers. Lord, let them all come and confess you, Lord. And for so many people, you ask them, what's the greatest day of your life as a Christian? They will give you that Christian answer. Well, it is the day that I was saved. It was the day I believed. It was the day I confessed. It was the day. 
You catch one with a really good memory, they can even tell you the exact calendar day. But I've got a question for you. What about the next day? Is that day not to be celebrated? Is that day not a big deal? Did Jesus only care about one day and not the other? Y'all get me? Am I preaching? Is this, is this on the level? Is, you think this is Bible? I think it is, guys. I want to tell you, Palm Sunday teaches us that we can make Jesus king, yet only for a day. Who was your king yesterday? Who is your king today? Who will be your king tomorrow? Israel always had issues with their kings. Did you know this? They even have two books named Kings, which is full of problems. First Kings and Second Kings. Much of the Old Testament is Israel struggling with their king. They're mad at their king. They're taxing me. Our king's evil. It's our king's fault. All these things. But do we remember how this all started with Israel and their kings? It's in your Bible. It's in the Old Testament. We're about to look at it. You don't know. Learn today. The people had God as their king in the very beginning, right? Right? How far in the beginning? Like verse 1, Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God and there's nothing else. He's pretty much, if that's not king, I don't know what is, right? In the beginning, God. He's king. They had a king who created the world. They had a king who saw them through a flood. They had a king who made covenant promise with them through a guy named Abraham and promised to give them their own nation. He delivered them from slavery. This king delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He brought them back into their covenanted promised land of Israel. And Israel had the best king of all. They had their king as God. That was their king. But then this happened in Samuel chapter 1, verse 8, verse 6. The people said, give us a king to lead us. Say these words, give us a king to lead us. 1 Samuel 8 and 6. They say this to Samuel, who is a prophet, and it hurts Samuel's feelings. It's weird because he actually takes it personally. It's like, I must not be in a good job because they don't want my God to be their king anymore. Right? What does God tell him? God says, they're not rejecting you. Like usual, they are rejecting me. See, this isn't the first time they've rejected him. He actually got replaced by a golden calf a few days after springing them from the big house in Egypt. These knuckleheads had rejected him many times. Can I give you a break for a moment? If you've got someone in your life that's not serving the Lord, stop blaming yourself. Oh, you don't understand. I wasn't perfect. Pause for effect. 
Yeah, you weren't perfect. Who was? Jesus, only Jesus Christ is perfect. Stop beating yourself up like Samuel. Because someone else is rejecting God as their king. I want to tell you that Israel fired God as their king. They fired him. You fired. Impeachment, whatever you want to call it, they removed him from his rightful throne. Now this is the same God who gave them miraculous manna. Bread from heaven in the desert wilderness. Yet they would choose another king. He parted the Red Sea. They walked through on dry ground. And they saw, they turned around just in time to see the army that was coming to kill them drown in that very same sea. Yet they wanted another to be their king. Yeah, they wanted to go back to a pharaoh. Just just go crazy a little bit. What are y'all doing? He was faithful and a loving king, yet they wanted to crown someone else. Guess what God does in 1 Samuel 8 when his people ask for a king? He answers their prayer. He gives them their own king. And he also gives them a warning. Everyone say warning. Warning. I'm going to read 1 Samuel 8, 11 through 18. This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and daughters and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest. And still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. Verse 13. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. Verse 14. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. Verse 15. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. Verse 18, when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. The king you have chosen. God should have been their king. But they chose another king. God should be our king. But we choose another. Are we happy with our choice? No. You're not happy right now. Let's get real. You're not happy right now. You choose another to be your king and gosh, you get exactly what you asked for and it does not make you happy. We crown kings that only take from us. You notice that over and over and over. The warning of the Lord was that the king you choose will only take. The only time he gave is when he took what you had and he gave it to his buddies. 
The only time he gave. We have crowned addictions as king. They've only taken our health. We've crowned materialism as king. It has only taken our peace. We've crowned lust and pornography. And you know what? It has taken our intimacy. We have crowned ourselves king through our own pride. And it is taking us to the grave completely depressed and unfulfilled. We have crowned our culture king. And it is dragging us to hell. We choose the worst kings. We choose the worst kings. We are not good at this. You find somebody and they're 10 years old and have them choose a king. They're not going to do a good job. But guess what? You find a 20-year-old and you ask them to do the same thing. They're not going to do a good job. And the 30-year-old, the 40-year-old, it doesn't matter where you are in that timeline. You are not good at this. And neither am I. We choose the worst kings. We choose kings who only take from us. I want to tell you that our God is a true king who gives. Somebody say give. God gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. Psalm 146 and 7. God satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry. Psalm 107 and 9. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. Luke 12 and 31. My God will fully supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 19. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. He gives all good things. Psalm 34 and 10. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Matthew 7 and 11. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound to every good work. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8. James 4 and 6 says, He gives more grace. Matthew 7 and 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Believe that you have received it. And it will be yours. Jesus said it in Matthew eleven twenty four. Ask anything in my name. I will do it. I will give it. John 14 and 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. John 14 and 27. I'm telling you, we have a king and he gives hope. He gives mercy. He gives power. He He gives word and he never breaks his word. He gives forgiveness. He gives redemption. He gives his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And if that is not enough, this same God gives us his very spirit and 
puts it inside of us. To live inside of us. He gives. We have a God who gives. He's the best king ever. So who's your king today? Who is it? Think about that. Be really honest. Where most of your thoughts been? Where most of your fears been? What have you been focused on? What have you truly been worshiping? If he was your king today, did you worship him that freely like your king? Did it take a lot to even get you to church today to be with your king? Some of you online, is he your king? Who is your king? I want to invite you today, make him your king. And you can do it right now. But how? How do you make him your king? Well, our story, our Palm Sunday story tells us. I'm going to dig it out for you. The people took things off. What did they do with them? They laid them down. If you want him to be your king today, you're going to need to take some things off. I'm not talking in the physical. I'm not telling you to get undressed in here. Making sure everyone knows that. Charles, shirt back on, buddy. Shirt back on. I'm talking spiritually that there are things that you're wearing that you need to take those things off. You've got guilt in your life. You've got shame in your life. Take that stuff off and lay it on the ground for Him to ride across and conquer. Then the people cut branches off and they laid them down. So you take off what's yours, but you also take off things around. You cut those things off. Are there some things in your life you need to cut off? Are there some addictions? Are there some secret sin issues in your life? I want to invite you to cut them down, lay them down, and let the king ride across them and triumph over them. I'm telling you, there is nothing you are facing that he cannot triumph over. There was a demoniac with hundreds, if not thousands of demons inside of him. Jesus conquered every last one of them. Jesus conquered all the spikes in his hand and every beat on his back. He conquered the very gates of hell, the death and Hades, and he came right up out of the grave. I'm telling you, whatever it is you're facing in your life, it is no match for this king. Let him prove to you he's worthy of being your king by taking things off, cutting things off, and laying them down. That's what this altar is. This place ought to be full of laid down, cut off, taken off things in our life today. You know, there's a word for this. This is repentance. Repentance. You're laying down your sin. You're confessing it. You're taking it off. Confess your sin. Leave it here for the Lord to triumph over it. That wasn't all the people did. They also lifted up their voices. This is what they did. In fact, there's a place in one of the Gospels. Uh, the Pharisees like come to him and say, Hey, can you shut these people up? Can you, can you tell them to stop? 
this is a little bit over the top it's a little bit crazy around here I don't really like what's going on would you please stop what does Jesus say he says if I if I tell them to stop even the rocks will cry out there's going to be a witness of my kingship and it's either going to be these people or you, you, you're going to hear rocks crying out they didn't push him on it it would have been a cool moment I know Jesus was not joking But the people, under their own free will, lifted their voice and they worshiped Jesus as king. Can I tell you, you can't have him as your king if you don't worship him. Can I also tell you, you can't worship him and not have him as your king. Those things go hand in hand. Worship. I want to tell you, I want to declare to you today, when you worship, you are actively crowning Jesus Christ as your king. And every day, we need to lay down things before the Lord in repentance. And every day, we need to lift up our worship to the Lord as king. And it is after he has taken all our sins, trampled them, that we are truly free to do just Jesus is king. I want you to know he really sits on the throne. To him who sits on the throne. The Bible says he is the only wise king. We are given a glimpse of heaven and there is one throne. And in that throne is the lamb. Our Jesus is the king of all kings. And he is the Lord of all lords. I want to tell you that you can come to that throne. Do you know that you have permission to come to the very throne of Jesus Christ? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Jesus is on that cross and as he breathes his last something happens in the physical in the spiritual it must have been amazing to see John the only disciple that we know that was there gives us probably the best insight of it he says that when he breathed his last in the temple the veil that shut off the presence of God the veil that stood between us and the holy of holies the veil that no one could go past except one time a year and it was it was scary to even do that that veil was ripped from top to the very bottom God from heaven ripped that veil in half we're not talking really cheap Walmart curtains Josephus wrote a historical account of the veil he said it was as thick as thick everyone said as thick as your hand is wide hold up your hand that thing nobody could have torn 
or dad. Are you kidding me? Our king did. When Jesus breathed his last, that veil no one could rip, ripped from the top to the bottom. And you know what? It flung open. And suddenly we saw what was inside. And I imagine the priests that were in that room thought they were about to die. I bet they were freaking out. Say freaking out. Because you're not supposed to go in there. You're not supposed to see in there. You're new have access to that. We are going to die. But instead, they looked up and they saw the Ark of the Covenant. You know what the top of the Ark of the Covenant is called? It's called the mercy seat. It is the throne of grace. The writer of Hebrews is talking about. They couldn't approach that thing. Jesus, when he breathes his last, he rips that veil, and now you can boldly approach what you've never been able to approach before God's very throne of grace, his seat of mercy. I want to take you. Through repentance. Repentance takes you right before the throne of grace. That's God's plan. You don't have to go get a lamb. And kill the lamb. The lamb's already been sacrificed. When you repent. It takes you right into the very throne room of God. And then I want to tell you this. This is so powerful. I want you to know it. I want you to learn it for the rest of your life. When you worship. It transforms the space that you're standing in into the very throne room of God. Some of the most spectacular parts of your Bible are when they're talking about the throne room of God in Revelation. And they scream, they, they, they sing, they shout, they are not quiet about it that the Lamb is worthy. When we declare the Lamb worthy, I'm telling you, something happens in the atmosphere, something happens in the spiritual, something happens in your physical, it happens and it takes over everything. That this is just a little storefront building until you start to worship Ackley. When you worship, it becomes the very presence of God. It becomes the very throne room of the King and you are placing Him as the highest authority in all the world. And I want you to know that's bad news for your enemies. That's bad news for the devil. That's bad news for depression. That's bad because Jesus tramples over all. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us, and have a blessed day.